as we dive into this next passage in Ephesians 5, I want you for a moment to get very personal. I want you to think about the area of life today, right now, that you wish you had clarity on. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's vocational. I, I don't know what the area is, but if you will get that in mind, there are two directives we're going to look at in Ephesians 5 that literally will give clarity in a whole new way. And if I could describe it this way, one, um, I, I've been diagnosed with a, a condition called old. I'm getting old. And I feel it. I feel it every week. And I used to be where I could, man, my eyes were great. And then I had to get glasses. And then I had to get more glasses. Then I got these trifold things that just, okay, now, okay. And I used to be able to drive at night fine. Then it was like, you know what, if it's raining and it's really dark, I need my glasses to drive. Now, I need clarity. If you see me driving without glasses, go the other way, okay, because it's not good. I need clarity. And that clarity is what God longs for us to have. God is not up there trying to keep from us. He's there to say, hey, I've, I've got you not only the answers, but I've got an intimate, specific answer in that area, and I want to give you clarity in it. But we have to engage him, and these two directives he gives us in Ephesians 5 in the first part are the way we get that clarity, but we really have to look, we have to engage, and we have to really gaze. And, and what I mean by gaze is embrace God in the midst of where we are, and the best way I can describe the gaze happened to me this past week. I'm more of a sunset guy. I'm not really a sunrise guy. If you're a sunset guy, go like this. If you're a sunrise person, go like this. Okay, a lot of sunset guys and, and gals, I get that. Now, some of you are sunrise people. I'm not a really sunrise person until this last week. I had an event in Madison, Wisconsin uh, on Thursday night. And then I had to get up at just an unbelievable hour in the morning. I had to get up at like 3.45 to catch the first flight out of Madison to get back to Atlanta to get to Dublin, Georgia for another event. For those of you who don't know, my, my full-time job is I actually do comedy for a living and speak uh, corporately some. And I had to get to this corporate event. So I had to get there. I get to the airport. It's pitch black. And we take off. And I've got the window seat. I love the window seat. And I'm looking out the window, and there's these lights. And you can tell where the towns are because there's these clusters of lights. I'm like, that's really cool. And I'm looking at the sky, and it's just this stars. You can see a lot of scars because you're away from light. I'm like, this is really cool. And then I just looked, and the horizon started turning this orangish red. And I'm like, oh, that is so cool. And then for the next 15, 20 minutes, I had one of the coolest moments describing the sunset to God just in my mind. Maybe it was out loud, I don't know, because I was just in my own little world, and I'm like, God, that is the coolest orange I have ever seen. I mean, it's like red, but it's not. It's orange, and it's, then there's this thin layer of a hazy, barely visible little white, and then it becomes just dark. And it's the darkest blue. And I don't even know what to call that blue. And I'm like, Lord, that is so cool. And by the time I got up and I'm looking at the stars going, Lord, that, and I can see so many stars, especially that one. That is so awesome. Then I look back down and it changed. And I'm like, look, well, now I can see that reddish orange, but then I see a clear orange. And then that white is now, it's not white. It's kind of an orangish white. And Lord, and now it's not just dark blue, it's this it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of a royal, but it's hard to see, and then it goes really dark. 
and I look up and I saw a few fewer stars, but there's this one that stuck out. And then I look back down and I'm like, okay, now it's getting crazy, Lord. This is so cool. That is every shade of orange all in one right there. And oh, you got to be kidding me. That white, it's, it's a white, but it's not white. It's orange fading into, and I've never seen this before in my life. And I've seen several sunrises, but I had to gaze at it. Because as I looked at the white and I squinted, I'm like, that's green and yellow, but it's white. And now it's, and now it's, it's blue, but then, oh, that's purple. That's purple, and then it's, oh, man, and then it just kept going. And then there were clouds that were reflecting some of the red and the orange. And I'm just like, Lord, this, this is amazing. And then it became light. And instead of just seeing specks of lights where cities were, I could see patterns and I could see roads and I could see cars and I saw everything clearly. I believe with all my heart what we're about to look like is that transformation in that area of your life that we just talked about. If you'll get it clearly in your mind, these two simple directives. And they're found... And they're found in Ephesians 5. If you want to follow along, it's Ephesians 5. Uh, if you want to watch the screens, we're going to pull them up here. It simply says this, starting in verse 1. Therefore, imitate God like dearly loved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. He was a sacrificial offering that smelled sweet to God. The first directive that God gives us through this simple, simple piece is imitate God. Imitate Jesus. Be an imitator of Jesus. Now how many of you, when you, you were younger, let's say single digit age, had someone in a sport or a movie or whatever that you looked up to and you thought, oh, that's my hero, I want to be like them. Yeah, the rest of you are lying, or you're just disconnected, and I feel bad for you. But we did. Mine was a pitcher. I loved baseball, and I was born in Los Angeles, and there was a pitcher. His name was Don Sutton. He's now the voice for the Braves, but Don Sutton was a pitcher. I was a pitcher. He was in Los Angeles. I was born in Los Angeles. He was a great pitcher, and I, I wanted to be a great pitcher. And he had curly hair, and I used to have curly hair. And, I, and so I wanted to be like Don Sutton, and so I'd mimic. I'd mimic the way he threw. In that same, he's saying, I want you to mimic Jesus. I want you to mimic, imitate Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Well, look at a couple of the words in verse 2. He says, who loved us and gave himself. If we're going to be imitators of God, we have to be givers, not getters. We have to live to give, not live to take. And that idea of giving, well, what does that look like? A friend of mine I spent a couple days with a couple weeks ago. We were on tour together, and he's going through a rough patch. And we just spent time on the road, driving between a couple different shows. And, and, and we stopped at this one place. He's like, man, I really got to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, cool. So we pull over. It's just a little gas station convenience store. And I'm over by the waters thinking, you know, I'm a little thirsty. I'm going to get something. He was towards the front of the store. I'm like, hey, man, you need, you need something to drink? And he's like, no, I got a water. He says, I got one. I got one for you, too. And I'm like, I didn't ask for one, but... Thanks, you know, so we get in the car, and I'm like, dude, thanks for the water. How'd you know I needed a water? And he goes, well, he says, a buddy of mine just shared a concept. He says, back when he was in college, he was in Texas, and this very well-known pastor at a very large church kind of just engaged him. He says, hey, you're a sharp young man. He says, if, if you don't mind, I'd love to just help you if I can. 
He says, yeah. He said, why don't you come over Saturday to my house? He's like, really? And if I told you the name, you'd know who the pastor was if you're into those type things. But very well-known pastor. He says he gets there, and he's got a donut to eat for breakfast. Didn't get a chance to eat it, but he got there, and the guy just worked out. He goes, hey, I'm going to grab a quick shower. He says, I'll read it right out. So like five minutes later, he said he's just sitting there eating his donut. And he said, this, this guy comes out kind of drying his hair in a T-shirt and a, a warm-up pants. And he goes, wow, that looks awesome. And he goes, oh, thanks. And he said, where's mine? And he's like, uh, I, I, I didn't know you wanted one. And he says, well, he says, you know what I started doing? And he said, I don't remember a whole lot of what we, we learned biblically. He said, but I learned this lesson of giving. He said, I've started doing this. Anytime I want to meet with somebody, if I get something, I get two. And my buddy said, that's why I got the water. I love this concept. If I'm getting it, I'm with somebody, I'm going to get you one too. If I like it, I want you to have it and see what I like. And I just know I'm thinking about you. I'm like, that's a kind of cool idea. And I just called the where's mine idea. And he said, now listen, it doesn't work out perfectly. There's not every God-ordained, heaven, angel-singing moments. He said, I've gotten a lot of drinks. I end up with two of them. I bought a lot of sandwiches. I end up with two of them. He says, but I just, I want to get in that habit of being a giver and thinking about others. And, and anything that I, I invest in that doesn't get passed on is far, far more worth it just for me to have that giving idea. It's my buddy out in Phoenix. I'll call him Steve because that's his name. And Steve, Steve had shared with me this concept. He was doing something kind of big for a friend of his. I said, man, that is just incredible. I said, what, what led you to do this? And he said, man, here's the deal. And he asked the question, he says, how many times in life do you come across a friend that has a real need, I mean like a life-changing need for them, that you get to be a part of God meeting that need? And I'm like, ah, not very often. And he says, exactly. And he says, anytime I see one of those, I'm like, Lord, will you let me be a part of this? I don't know if I can afford it, I don't know if I can do it, but I want to be a part. Sure enough, a few months later, I'm with a buddy of mine who's a musician, and he does kind of what I do, and he's incredible now. I mean, he, he's got over 300 million hits on YouTube now, but he was getting started, and I'd bring him with me on tour. And he's a musician, he's very talented, and, and he came out on the road one time, and he didn't bring his guitar. I'm like, dude, where's your guitar? And he goes, man, long story, it got stolen out of my car. I'm like, your guitar got, what, what are you doing? He says, well, I've got this old cheap one, but I'm just going to do without. I'm just going to do my show without it. And I'm like, dude, but you're, you're a musician. It's the guitar. And we're talking after the show that night. I'm like, tell me what happened. He tells me. I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. That's a bummer. I said, but here's the deal. Let me just ask you this, because he's a musician. He said, if you could have any guitar, any guitar, and I just snap my fingers and it'd be here, what would it be? He goes, oh. Now, if you're around any musicians, if you are a musician, you know that that's, that's in the forefront of their mind at all times. They say, oh, it'd be a Taylor 513 with a second back and a ding dang, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, what? And he tells me again. I'm like, okay, that's really cool. Now, here's the cool part. God has to put these really simple for me sometimes. Now, my buddy Steve, who was in Phoenix, he actually worked because when he told me the brand, I'm like, no way. Because he works and he does all the high-end printing for Taylor guitars. And I'm like, so I call him. I said, hey, I got a friend, guitar stolen. He said his, his dream guitar is a Taylor 513 with a black blah, 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 cedar, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, wow. 
And I said, I, I think I want to get him one because this would be that type of gift. And he goes, well, they're, they're not cheap. And I said, okay. He said, but I can probably get you a little bit of a discount because they give me a discount. And I'm like, okay. Well, he came back and he, <laughs> and he told me, he says, well, I got the discount for you. I'm like, all right. He says, yeah, with the discount, it's only about $2,100. I'm like, <laughs> and, I, and for just a half a second, I'm like, Lord, maybe you want to bless him through someone else. But... I didn't do it, and I said, you know what, that, that's, that's the deal, I, I, I want to do that, will you put it on order for me, and I said, we're going to be in this city next weekend, will you have it shipped there, and he said, absolutely, and we get there to the show, and I'm so excited, and somebody came out and said, hey, your, your box is here, and I said, oh, the one for, for me or for Tim, they're like, for Tim, and he's like, what box? And I said, I don't know, it's got your name on it. And he goes back there and he opens it up and it's a guitar case and he pulls it out and he opens it up. And I've never seen him speechless before. He was just like, <sighs> he wouldn't touch it. He just started patting the strings. <sighs> I'm like, dude, that is awesome. And he goes, this is it. And he, and he literally, he just sat there and pet it for about five minutes. And I said, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put it on and play it. And he goes, I, 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 I don't want, I don't want to hurt it. And I'm like, it's a guitar. But to leave that mark and and for God to know the desires of our hearts and to want to to meet that need, and He does. But to let us be a part. When we get there, we start imitating Jesus. And not only that, the next, the next verse there, not only giving, but he says, and he was sacrificial offering that smelled sweet to God. Not only give, but to go ahead and give sacrificially is huge. And, and there's varying degrees of sacrifice. Some are financial, some are time, and some are all. I don't know if you know this past summer, if you heard the story about the uh, soccer team in Thailand that went on the the cave splunking tour and that they got deep into this cave, some two miles into the cave and the, and, and the name of the caves, I wrote it down here, let me see if I, oh, the, the Tham Luang Caves in Thailand. But the problem was is they got deep into the caves and a storm came and the waters rose and it trapped them two miles in this cave. And it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was hours or days before they discovered them missing they ended up staying on this ledge in a far corner of the cave two miles in. They, they survived on just dripping water for eight days. And when they finally got to them, they realized, how are we going to get out of here? How are we going to get them out? Because it's submerged for extended hundreds of yards at a time. Several of these young men had never, they'd never learned to swim. And then thousands of people began to pray and plan, and give, and strategize, and offer up their time, their abilities, their money to do whatever it takes to get them out. And many gave a lot, but one man, one man by the name of Suman Kunan, gave more than all. He was a former Thai Navy SEAL. He was 36 years old. And when they drew out the plans, they said, there's so few people that can even pull this off. He volunteered, he stepped up. They had to move some 20 air tanks, small air tanks that would fit through the passages, some as little as 18 inches wide, to get to these young men. He volunteered and he would take them in. The only problem was is that as he was taking them in, 
because I don't think there was a regulator on some of these, his regulator either broke or got knocked off or whatever, and on his way back out, he did not make it. And he drowned in the process after delivering these. He literally gave his life so that 18 young men could live. And that level of sacrifice and giving, in, in John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, no greater love is this, that a man would voluntarily give his life for his friends. And that level of giving is like, okay, Lord, teach me this. Help me get to this point. Because here's the deal. I love that when we, when we start to give and we start to sacrifice a little bit, God starts to just show up within us. And that Christ within us starts to, to pour out. And it becomes this sweet smell. Look what it says at the end there. Offering that smells sweet to God. Not only does it smell sweet, it, it, it becomes him within us. And people start recognizing that and they're drawn to it as John chapter 12 verse 32 says that if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Let me give you a couple examples of what that smell looks like. Because when we start acting out of giving and sacrifice and living that life and imitating Jesus... People are going to be drawn to that. When I was 17 years old, I worked at a little business in Cumberland Mall. I had a terrible location. It was next to a department store in the corner to the side. So if you're walking in and out, you wouldn't even see it. And if you came in the main entrance, it was an angle to where we were off the angle to where you'd never see it. It was the Great American Chocolate Chip Cookie Company. I made the big cookies and I made the cookies. And it was one of my first days there and uh, we'd we had made a bunch of cookies. It was right after dinner, we made a bunch, and there's nobody at the counter. And I'm questioning the manager's concept of why are we making all these cookies, and there's nobody here. And then we put them out of the, out of the oven onto these racks to cool, and he just said, well, put them over here, and we rolled them up to the doorway. And he said, watch this. And he just walked back, and he pulled out a box fan and just turned it on. And then he walked up to the counter, and another girl came up to the counter, and they stood there for about 90 seconds. And it was like cows to hay. Just people started showing up. I need a cookie. I need a cookie. I want two. I just, that smell just wafted into the mall, and people just showed up. They just literally followed their noses to get there. And when we give and we sacrifice, that's the smell. Now, here's the question I want you and I to ask. Is my life one of giving and sacrificing and, and imitating Jesus? Because if it is, you smell sweet. And people are going to be drawn to that. And it's going to be incredible. Can I, can I give you the example of as I evaluate my life, what my life looks like too often? Because I have moments of good, but I want to be an imitator all the time. Uh, how many of you have ever been to New Orleans? Anybody else been to New Orleans? They will vouch for me. Some of the most amazing restaurants in the world are in New Orleans. I've eaten beignets at the Café du Monde at midnight. It's amazing. The smell of that pastry, unbelievable. Emeril Lagasse has a couple restaurants there. I ate at one of his restaurants. You walk by his restaurant and you're just like, oh, I've never smelled that before. That combination, I don't know what it is. It's just, I have to have that. But New Orleans is such where you will be walking down the street and one of those aromas will just hit you like, we have to come back here. We have to eat here. Five steps later, it smells like a horse took a dump and somebody set it on fire 
and somebody peed on it to put it out. It's the most disgusting smell ever. It's like walking past going, to going, oh, oh, oh. I got to get away from here. Can I tell you, I'm so ashamed, and I, that's my life. I can do such great, have such a great mindset, and moments later be a complete jack wagon and just stink. And God is saying, okay, well, here's why. Yes, you're doing great at the imitating me, but here's the second directive he gives us. It's in the next few verses. Not only do we need to imitate Jesus, we need to eliminate sin. Eliminate it. And we can't do that on our own. We have to be reliant on him. Just as he gives us the motive and the clarity of what we do need to do, he shows us clearly what we need to let him eliminate in our lives. In verse 3 and on, it says, sexual immorality and any kind of impurity or greed shouldn't even be mentioned among you, which is right for holy persons. Obscene language, silly talk, or vulgar jokes aren't acceptable for believers. Instead, there should be thanksgiving. Because you know for sure that persons who are sexually immoral, impure, or greedy, which happens when things become God's, those people won't inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. Nobody should deceive you with stupid ideas. God's anger comes down on those who are disobedient because of this kind of things. So you shouldn't have anything to do with them. Nothing to do with them. Well, Lord, help me because what does it mean to eliminate sin? The first one I see is there, which is you shouldn't even mention these. In other words, they shouldn't even be a thought in your head. What am I thinking? What am I dwelling on? Well, it's very natural. Last week I shared the idea of just saying, you know what, Lord? Um, the, it says in 1 John 2.16, do not love the world or anything in the world. And these are the examples of that. He says those who are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the cravings of the flesh and, and the boasting of what he has and does. He's like, that, that's not what I made you for. And you're not going to find fulfillment in that. Instead, what you think needs to be different. And I've, this is becoming one of my favorite verses. It's in, and, you, and we're not going to put it up there, but you can write it down. I encourage you, write it in the margins if not. It's 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And it says this, And we, diminish, we dissolve, we destroy, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I find myself saying, you know what, if I'm going to eliminate sin, I've got to hold every thought captive. Jesus, I need you to, to make every thought captive. In the middle of that passage in Ephesians where it says, sexual immorality, impurity, and greed, which happen when things become God's. It's the same terminology, it's referring back to the Big Ten, Exodus 20, where Moses gets the Big Ten Commandments. Number two, do not have any idols. And it's using that same deal. And I always used to think, well, Lord, I don't have any like little wooden idols that I pray to and do. That's, that's not what it's talking about. Here he's clarifying that going, hey, here's what idols are. Sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. And it's not the item. It's, it's how we approach and what we do with those items. And I'll give you a beautiful example that I saw with my own eyes. It was down at Amelia Island. Beautiful resort. The Ritz-Carlton Amelia Island. The beach is amazing. The pools are amazing. It's an unbelievable resort. 
as I walked in, there was this Ferrari parked right on the curb. And I looked, I'm like, that's a cool car. And the, the valet who was standing there going, yeah, and, uh, and, uh, and we walked under the, the little awning where you get, you get out there, and he was like, yeah, uh, it's his. There was a guy about three stories up who had a balcony view, not of the ocean, not of the beautiful pools, not of the grounds. He had a, a balcony view of the parking lot by demand. And he sat on that balcony every time I came in and out, day or night, he was on that balcony watching his car. And I'm like, what a waste. That's idolatry. Now go to the other end of that extreme, my buddy Terry. Terry lived in the neighborhood that I lived in. We just moved uh, several years ago, but we were, we were still friends to this day. And I was out walking one day, and I walked by Terry's house. I said, hey, his garage door was up. And I looked in there. I'm like, dude, nice car. And he came out, and he's wiping the grease off. He goes, yeah, I'm just tinkering with it a little bit. It was a 65 Pontiac GTO convertible. Okay, all the car guys. Yeah, there we go. And I'm like, dude, that is so awesome. And we talked cars, and he's like, yeah, uh, you gotta, you, well, come, see, come see him. And I'm like, what do you mean him? And he's like, this is Gus. And he named the car. He said, I got Gus in a junkyard. My brother and I used to, when we were growing up, my dad would buy a car and we'd fix it up and he'd sell it. And that's how we had vacation money. And he says, I grew up just redoing cars. He says, I got Gus in a junkyard and I've restored him. He says, I've done every piece, literally every inch of that car I have touched and restored. He says, the seats I have hand stitched back to manufacturer's standards. The engine I have bored out and I have calibrated them to where they are better than factory standards when it came off the line and it looked like it had just come off the line. He said, I painted it the original color and I'm just like, this is unbelievable. He says, you know, next time you and Heather go out, you should take Gus. I said, dude, there is no way I'm getting in that car. And he goes, you don't like it? I'm like, dude, I love that car. But I mean, what, what if something happened? What if I'm driving and somebody hits it? Well, I, 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 I don't know what I'd do. And he started laughing. And he's like, seriously? I'm like, yeah, seriously. He says, if you, if, if, if you get it wrecked, I'll fix it again. I'm like, are you serious? And he goes, yeah. He said, what good is it if you don't get to enjoy it? I'm like. So Heather and I took it out for, for a date night down to Buckhead. And I'm telling you, cars, six-figure cars are stopping at lights and staring at us. Now, Heather is not a car person. And I, I, she's like, why do people keep looking at me? They're, uh, they might not be looking at, at you or me. It may be the car. She goes, it's old. And I'm like, exactly. I said, you can buy those cars if you have enough money. You can't buy this one. And see, that's the difference. That's the difference of not the item, but it's who, what I do with that item. It's having that giving. It's what I think. It's also about what I say. It says simply that obscene language, silly talk, and vulgar jokes. Apparently, there were dirty jokes since the beginning. Apparently, people used horrible language in the beginning. And it's just passed down. I believe with all my heart, God's saying, you know what? And, and, and I look at that and say, okay, obscenely, foolishness, and coarse joking, what's the opposite? Well, being real and being wise and being edifying, I want to focus on that. 
And I got to tell you, as I've started to do this, and, and even this last step of that of acts of disobedience, I've started to become a very rapid confessor. And 1 John 1 9, I shared this one last week as well, just that Jesus said, if you confess your sins, then I will forgive them and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I will have a thought that is not right. And I'm like, God, how do I get rid of that? Forgive me for that. I make a statement that I know is wrong. I stop and I'm like, God, that was, that was stupid. Why do I do that? Show me the core of why I'm doing that. And will you just forgive me and cleanse me from that? And I just become this rapid confessor of like, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that way. Will you help me? And he does. And he shows me and he moves forward. And I found that he's transforming me as I do that into literally seeing reality the way he sees it. And I'm telling you, a few times every week, God just gives me moments where he shows me something that is not a vulgar joke, but something that is just funny. Did you know God created laughter? He did that. Now, we pervert a lot of what God created. Sex, when he's like, don't be impure or immoral, it, it, sex is not bad. He said, I created that, and in marriage, it is the most wonderful experience. Outside, it'll destroy everything. Same with words. If you use the vulgarity and it's putting others down, you destroy. You don't build up. And God just starts, he shows me stuff. And this is the way I make a living, really. But I just, I laugh. And not all of it makes it on stage. Sometimes I just laugh. I was in St. Louis two weeks ago. St. Louis. Now, how many of you have been to the airport in the last year, even if it was one time? All right. Baggage claim carousels. In Atlanta, they have the monitors, and it tells you what city the baggage is coming from, so you know which carousel to go to. I'm in St. Louis, and the baggage carousel that had Atlanta on it, right above Atlanta, guess what city it said? St. Louis. And I just start laughing. They had a flight from St. Louis to St. Louis. And I'm thinking, Lord, who is on that flight? What did that announcement look? Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be cruising at the airport here. And we're going to be returning to, to the same gate that we left from. And if you packed a bag for the trip, it's going to be at Carousel 1, which should be easy to find since it's the same level as your IQ. Okay? I mean, it's just, that just made me laugh. Who is going to the airport to go to the airport to get on a plane to come back to the airport? I just love that. I saw another one at a hotel. And I'm on the second floor, and I'm waiting for the elevator, and it had one of those warning signs that says, in case of emergency, the exit, the emergency exit for the second floor is on the first floor. So if you're on the second floor, good luck. You're toast. I just love that. But the one, my favorite one from this week was the hotel. They said, welcome. We treat you like family. And I thought, you haven't met my family. I said, so am I going to come check in? Hey, is my room ready? No, uh, you tell me. Did you make your bed? Did you pick up your clothes? Is your room ready? And, and am I going to get up tomorrow and my older brother run down the hall and give me a wedgie? I mean, is that, is that what it's going to be? And is there going to be somebody in the hall going, hey, pick that up, pick that up. Well, you think I'm your maid? Well, I thought you were, but I don't know. And, and I just think, I see that stuff, it makes me laugh. See, God gives us joy. And when we literally, we say, you know what, Lord, I want to eliminate sin. He starts to literally pull the darkness off and starts giving us clarity. And if we will choose to say, okay, Lord, I need to, I want to intimidate, I want to imitate you and eliminate sin, 
look what happens. We take those two directives, look what he does in that way. In verse 8, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live your life as children of light. Light produces fruit that consists of every sort of good, justice, and truth. Therefore, test everything to see what's pleasing to the Lord. And don't participate in the unfruitful actions of darkness. Instead, you should reveal the truth about them. It's embarrassing to even talk about what certain persons are doing in secret. But everything exposed to the light is revealed by the light. Everything that is revealed by the light is light. Therefore, it says, wake up, sleeper. Get up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There is a connection. We are in darkness until we come to Christ. There's a simple step. He says in Romans that if we believe, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is who he said he was and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will know him personally. And that light starts happening. We, it's our choice. But I'm telling you, if we will take the time and say, God, I want to read your truth so I can see what it takes to imitate you, I want to be a giver. Lord, show me an area where I can sacrifice. And don't be shocked if it happens in a real time, in the real world. It's not going to be a, a, a voice from a cloud. For me, it was after a show one time in upstate Pennsylvania. A shirt that I wore on this stage to film the, the show that actually won the International Comedy Award that I won is this really cool lime green shirt. And I was walking off stage and just meeting and greeting, and this, this one guy who was on staff at the church came up and he goes, hey man, that is the greatest shirt I've ever seen. I'm like, cool. And he goes, I mean, where do you get something like this? Now, we're in Sticks, Pennsylvania, okay? And I'm like, I, I think you'd have to probably get it online. He goes, man. And he got the details about it. His wife came up. And, and I thought, huh, do I really need this shirt? And then his wife came up about 10 minutes later. She goes, will you tell me, please, where you got that? Because I don't know where to get one. I don't know what to do. And I said, you know what? And I had a t-shirt on under it. I said, it's easy. You can get one right here, right now. And I just took the shirt off and said, hide it. Give it to him in the morning and say, you should wear this to church or something. And she's like, you, you got to be kidding. That's, that's got to be. I'm like, I'm not kidding. Just take it. Because it, it was for me, not him. It was for me to say, Lord, I, I want to be giving, and when I have little opportunities to sacrifice, I want that. And even during my days, I'm like, Lord, will you just point out, or you don't even have to point out, will you gently nudge me when I'm an idiot and just work with me on that? Because I do believe that he who began this good work in me is going to work until it's fully redeemed until the day I die. And I'm not perfect, but I'm being perfected. And if you and I will engage, imitate Jesus, eliminate sin, and let him be in the midst of that process, we will see light in that area that at the beginning you said, I wish I had more clarity. This is where clarity comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your simplicity and your clarity that you long to give us. Help us to, to follow your steps, these simple directives, so that we can see what you want us to see and rejoice and enjoy this life to the fullest. And it really is only through the, the gift of Jesus that we can, can know you and talk to you. 
And it's the power of raising him from the dead that lives in us that this can become reality, that we pray. Amen. Guys, I can't wait to see you next week in this next passage. Thanks.